Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. And I'm Sarah Blakemore. On the program today... We're going to learn how bone marrow may be the key to reducing organ rejection. And relaxation techniques for adults. All good. All coming your way now. On the Gifted Life, we are so pleased to get to visit with Kevin Caldwell. Hey, Kevin. Hey. <laughs> Kevin is the founder and CEO of Osseum Health. So, um, if you want more information, we're going to keep throwing out osseumhealth.com is where you can kind of follow along. But if you could tell us uh, what Osseum Health is all about and the mission, Kevin. So, at Osseum, we are essentially doing two things. The first is that we have developed a process for recovering and storing and transplanting bone marrow and bone marrow-derived um, cellular therapeutics uh, from deceased organ and tissue donors. Historically, there's been a shortage of bone marrow available for transplant. We're ending that shortage by tapping into the previously unused supply of bone marrow that comes from organ and tissue donors. The second thing that we're doing is developing new therapies that are made possible by the existence of that bone marrow bank resource. And so this includes everything from simply allowing people with uh, blood cancers like leukemia, who traditionally got their bone marrow transplants from living donors to receive transplants, uh, to doing something called immune tolerance induction, which is where we provide people who recently received organs from a deceased donor with a bone marrow transplant from their organ donor so that their immune system is re-educated to recognize cells from their organ donor as cells. If you implement this properly, the person uh, doesn't need immunosuppression and doesn't suffer from organ rejection. And that's just the beginning. There's a whole range of different um, therapies that are possible when you have the ability to transplant bone marrow on demand um, easily um, anywhere. So that, that's amazing stuff, right. Kevin. And, and mm-hmm. uh, so Kevin and I, for you guys, uh, met actually a couple times. We met at, at the AOPO conference and a couple different conferences. And then, of course, he and his team came to uh, Louisiana a couple years ago because we were so interested in uh, what they had to offer and, and kind of the revolutionary ideas that they had. So yeah. can, you, can you tell us a little bit about Ossium and what, what got you into focusing on bone marrow? You know, I, um, so I spent a lot of time with my grandparents as a kid. And... You know, when I, they ran a farm in West Tennessee. And uh, when I was young, when I was born, they were in their 50s. By the time I graduated from high school, they were in their 70s. And I saw their, you know, health uh, decline gradually during that time period. And um, I would see them getting sick at home, and then they would eventually go and they would get prescribed a treatment that would reduce their suffering, but generally did not truly restore their health. And I would ask, why can't we anticipate? What's going to make you get sick beforehand? Why can't we really rejuvenate you to the level of health you were at before? And the answers that I got back then were that that's just not how medicine works. And I never really accepted that Mm. answer, but um, I wasn't sure what could be done about it at the time. Um, And then, you know, you fast forward a while and, um, you know, by, I would say by about five to some extent, even 10 years ago, 
there was this uh, revolution that had begun, um, and medicine, and in particular, uh, regenerative medicine, had gone from being, you know, a hypothetical uh, field that could emerge to really being um, an exciting area of research and eventually practice. And within that space, um, one of the most interesting is actually, in many ways, uh, an, an, an old uh, an old procedure. So bone marrow transplants, um, they are stem cell therapy, and we usually think about you know stem cell therapies as being 21st century medicine. But the first bone marrow transplants were actually done in the 1960s. Um, it's, it's been around for more than six decades. Um, historically, it was used to treat people with leukemia. Um, but you know, there when you do a bone marrow transplant, you are uh, ablating or removing the entire blood and immune system of the recipient and replacing it with the blood and immune system of a healthy donor. And so when you do this, you are permanently changing out the person's entire blood and immune system for the rest of their lives. They'll produce blood and immune cells with the genetics of another human being. And so when we were thinking about, well, what could we do um, in this space? Uh, finding ways to make bone marrow transplants you know, easier to do so that we could treat a huge range of different diseases that are, are treatable by sort of rebooting an immune system was an incredibly exciting uh, possibility. And so we started to explore uh, what, what the path would be to that. Uh, my co-founder, uh, Eric Woods, and chief science officer, um, also, you know, uh, he's a former president of the International Society for, for Cryobiology, and he's um, has some deep expertise in relevant stem cell biology. And so it was also just a natural space for us to leverage that expertise. Wow. So I see that Ossium Health was founded in, in 2016. Can you kind of walk us through kind of where you started to where we are now and the breakthroughs, challenges? Yeah. So, you know, um, several years ago, uh, I was working in the financial sector. I was at, at an investment firm. And, um, you know, it was, um, this was around, you know, 2012, 2013, uh, 2014. Um, I, it was during the European sort of sovereign debt crisis, and I was in charge of, you know, managing our uh, trading strategy of the, um, uh, for a variety of different, uh, a variety of different assets. And um, it was really interesting. I learned a lot, had a great experience. Uh, but after a couple of years of doing that, I sort of stepped back and thought about, well, when I'm 90 years old, looking back, at my life, like, is this, you know, what I would want to have done? Wow, is this yeah. what I would want to spend my career doing? And I thought, well, probably not. Um, I want to do something meaningful. And I um, started thinking about, well, what would that look like? And I thought back to a lot of the experiences that I've had with my grandparents growing up and also looked at where our healthcare system is today. Um, and, you know, for the last decade, essentially, there's been um, a lot of sort of ongoing conflict over this question of how we pay for how we pay for our rising healthcare costs. And in general, if you can um, if you can proactively uh, in, do regenerative therapies that really restore health, you can reduce cost relative to the sort of retroactive uh, treatment paradigm that historically has been used. And so, uh, started really focusing on well, what would that? How would we implement that? And uh, one of the things that I did was just volunteer for um, an organization that was doing, um, working on better long-term preservation of human organs and tissues, and to do a variety of things, preserving more organs so that they're not lost, being able to have more time to be transplanted. And one of the sets of tissues that I started really looking at that was interesting was bone marrow, 
because bone marrow is an example of a tissue that we've been able to do good cryopreservation of for a long time. It can be stored for decades and then transplanted afterwards. Mm -hmm. And I really started looking into the bone marrow transplant ecosystem, and I was a bit surprised because here was a tissue that we could store essentially permanently, and yet there was still a huge uh, shortage of it. And so through my network of mutual friends, uh, got introduced to my uh, co-founder, who had previously run a cord blood bank slash sperm bank, just a variety of you know low temperature uh, preservation of, of human cells, and started looking at what a model for doing a bone marrow bank would look like. You know, did the world need this? And if it did, could we build it? And so we started really you know talking to a bunch of, of hemox uh, doctors who do bone marrow transplants routinely um, about whether they would be how excited they would be about having the opportunity to just, you know, make a call or, or, you know, click a button and have bone marrow delivered for their patients in a few days. And the amount of excitement that we, you know, got on that was really extraordinary. And so um, we decided to make it happen. I love the path of your life. Yeah. We were sitting here, whoa, I didn't yeah. see that coming. Changing directions. This is amazing. So, Kevin, you're talking a lot about being able to store bone marrow for longer periods of time. Are we at the point now where someone can just donate bone marrow and then have it just stored? It doesn't necessarily have to go to a specific person like uh, bethematch.org. Uh, it can just be stored, and then whenever someone is in need, then they can go to the bone marrow bank and then uh, utilize whatever the best match is. Are we near that point, or is that something that you guys are foreseeing? So we, we are near that point. So actually, um, many of the difference. Uh, registries around the world, or at least a few of them, are currently offering these programs where uh, they will actually uh, they will um, aspirate bone marrow from people uh, who want to donate now, and then simply file preserve that and have that available uh, in the future. It's not widely done; it's still very, very new. In fact, I don't even know if they've actually done any transplants using that yet. But it's definitely something that a number of these. Uh, registries are actively looking at precisely because it would enable uh, it would enable the transplants to happen uh, more more quickly. The main reason why it hasn't been done historically and it's still slow to pick up now is just that one, you know, giving bone marrow is typically perceived as being dangerous and, and mm -hmm. painful. Um, it's actually not as bad as people right. often think, and it's relatively quick. But uh, the public certainly, you know, interprets the cost of it as being quite high, and so. Uh, they're much more willing to do that if there's a specific person uh, whose life is going to be saved and if it's just going to a bank. Uh, the other reason, though, is that um, because so we, to do a bone marrow transplant, you need to be an HLA match uh, for the recipient. So HLA is the human leukocyte uh, antigen. Um, on the surface of, uh, of mammalian cells, there's this a uh, complex called a major histocompatibility complex. It's basically a bunch of, of, of proteins. Um, and it's, uh, one of the things it does is it displays, it, sort of, uh, it displays pieces of proteins, like peptides, that are in the cells to the immune system as the white blood cells pass by. Um, so if you, if you look at the, if you sequence the, the human genome and you compare the amount of variability across different people for different sections of the genome, the part that determines what your HLA type is, is, is one of the most variable. Um, and so every person on, on this call is going to have a different um, HLA type. Right. Um, and so um, what that means is that if you were banking in advance, you would need a very large number 
of uh, samples that were banked in order to have a good probability of, of matching someone when the time for donation comes. Um, so if the donor is deceased, well, you've got one shot, and so you do it immediately. But if the donor is alive and they can, in principle, come back later, it's often more efficient to just wait until you actually need the bone marrow from them instead of asking them to donate it and then just storing it and probably never using it. All right. So you guys have, you know, thought about and, and, and spun forward the, the innovation innovative ideas of possibly ending the need for anti-rejection medicine. So where in, in that sector are you guys and, and what big challenges are still ahead? So today when someone gets an organ transplant, um, in general, it's not possible to do an HLA match for the recipient and the donor. Um, organs are, are, are so rare and uh, so rarely available and the need for them is so large and their amount of time that we have for transplanting them is so low that we, of course, just transplant them immediately, which means that in general, uh, there's, not, there's not a match and people will reject their organs. And so um, the immunosuppression regimens that people are on for those uh, enable the organs to last longer than they otherwise would. Um, most organs are still ultimately rejected. Most of them are rejected within about 12 years of the initial transplant. And of course, in the meantime, you know, because patients' immune systems are depressed, they have elevated risk of infection, even diabetes, cancer, et cetera. Um, this, um, for a long time, for, you know, the first several decades of transplantation was essentially our only option. Um, but, um, we mentioned earlier that if you give someone a bone marrow transplant, you are uh, you're giving them the blood and immune system of their bone marrow donor. And so with this process called immune tolerance induction, what we do is we ablate or remove just a portion of the bone marrow stem cells of the organ recipient, give them a, a transplant of cells from their organ donor. And then when those cells engraft and start to uh, populate within the recipient, they enter this state that's called mixed chimerism, where they're producing blood and immune cells descended from both their own native bone marrow and the donors at the same time. And this uh, chimeric state um, results um, over time, um, can result in what's called tolerance to occur, where the recipient's blood and immune system starts to tolerate or accept uh, cells that are descended uh, from uh, the bone marrow and, of course, the organ donor, because they're the same person. Um, and so with this, um, this the, the earliest, you know, studies of what tolerance was possible actually date back uh, sometime several decades ago. But um, for more recently, there's been a series of studies that have demonstrated that um, uh, you, can, you can donate kidneys from living donors and then provide bone marrow from those same living donors, induce tolerance, and you have people walking around today. Uh, not taking any immune suppression pills with unmatched uh, kidney kidney donors. Uh, there have also been studies with deceased donors where limbs are transplanted and bone marrow from the limb donors, let's say an arm, is also transplanted. Uh, the tolerance protocol is applied, and those people are walking around, and they've gone from three uh, drugs that are necessary for immunosuppressants down to one. And so at Osseum, so, so this is great. This is incredible uh, progress. Uh, the thing is that most of the work so far has been focused on living donors of kidneys because uh, you because the protocols and techniques for doing bone marrow transplants from those same living donors are well established. But 80% of all organ donation in the U.S. is from deceased donors. And so if we want to bring all the medical and the economic benefits of um, immune tolerance to 80% of organ recipients, 
that we have to have a way of uh, recovering, banking, and transplanting bone marrow from deceased donors. And so this is the core of OSIM's mission and work, and this is why uh, we partner closely with OPOs uh, like local and others around the country. And so uh, for this, we, uh, we have, we're launching you know, three uh, clinical studies um, over the next 18 months. Um, one of them is uh, going to be an, an intestine transplant study. Um, so you probably, you know, intestine transplants aren't that common. One of the main reasons why they're not that common, it's not a lack of demand. There's actually enormous demand. It's that they're usually rejected. Right. There's actually a number of grafts like this, whether it be an intestine, whether it be a limb, where they're just very rare because they don't work because of rejection. Um, we believe, that's the data that we have, that we can make these transplants work, that we can enable people who've lost limbs or who need an intestine transplant uh, for the first time to really get one in a viable way. And so uh, a lot of our, 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 a couple of our early studies are on intestine and limb transplants. And then later, uh, we'll be doing uh, studies for uh, deceased donor kidneys uh, and then thoracic organs, uh, hearts and, and lungs. And those studies will kick off in probably 2021. Hey, Kevin. So this is Sarah. And my job at Lopez, I am a family advocate, so I approach families for donation. So right now, Mm -hmm. when we approach for donation, we approach for organ tissue and eye donation as well as research. And right now, Mm -hmm. our bone marrow is considered research. And so Mm -hmm. I know it means a lot to the families whenever we share that the processes of bone marrow transplantation with organ donation not only increase Mm -hmm. the length of life that the recipient will receive as well as their quality of life, so I guess my question is, is the ultimate goal for you to be bone marrow transplant with organ transplant as a standard procedure? Is that our ultimate yes, goal? It yes, it is. We, we would like to see every organ transplant nationwide paired with a bone marrow transplant so that immunosuppression and all of the, the suffering that comes with it mm-hmm. and the cost associated with it is a thing of the past. Right. And that means a lot to our families, especially our donor families, that not only are their loved ones going to be saving lives, but they're going to be improving them as well. So you kind of touched on the economics uh, portion. I can't imagine the impact that it's going to have from from an economic standpoint, since you mentioned that the, you know, the cost of anti-rejection medicine, you you talked about having 10 and 12 pills a day. And and they they talk about that being such a, a hindrance, such a hurdle to for for them to to you know remain compliant, and thus you know if they if they can't afford it, you know the next step is well they don't take it and their organ rejects and now they're back in, at square one and and the jobs that you guys are doing to uh, hopefully make a, a, such an impact there is is so huge. Right, not only receive the gift of life but be able to afford it is right. is such an interesting concept that we have going right now. So my, my one, one last question, Kevin. So uh, as far as the research uh, for specifically for bone marrow to uh, inhibit the anti-rejection medicines or decrease the anti-rejection medicines, where are we as far as the trials? Well, so there have been, um, there are a couple of trials that are ongoing that um, some, that other groups have done focused on living donors that have succeeded in that there are, that are succeeding in that. There are a couple of hundred people now who participated in those clinical studies, um, and there are people walking around today with uh, kidneys and bone marrow that they've gotten from living donors who are not taking any immunosuppression. Um, on the deceased donor side, uh, one of our um, 
principal investigators and, and partners over at Johns Hopkins um, has done a number of limb transplants uh, using a version of the same protocol that, that we use to do the recovery of bone marrow. And his patients are, are walking around with limbs from deceased donors that they also got bone marrow transplants from, and they are not, uh, they're on one drug instead of three. Um, and, that's, and that's drug, the number of pills they take per day is, 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 is much larger, as you pointed out. And so for us, we're going to start our first study. So touch a number of the things I mentioned around doing intestine transplants and ultimately kidney and heart and lung. Uh, the first of our studies is going to start in, in next year, in 2020. Okay. Wow. So my jaw's on the floor. I've been taking <laughs> notes. I'm out in the community, um, Kevin, where we get these kinds of questions and what's next. And I always say, just hold on tight because we never know what's going to happen tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Will you are doing that and pushing that forward. And that is just incredible. <laughs> so um, doing research for your um, interview, uh, we looked up osseumhealth.com. That's O-S-S-I-U-M Health. Dot com. So if uh, you want more, um, that's a good site uh, that you can go to. And Kevin, we just appreciate uh, what you're doing. Uh, I find it interesting, your, your path in life, and I love where you are now. And we just appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. All right, guys, this is a special segment, should we say, of The Gifted Life. Are you yep. guys ready? Yep. Oh, yeah. But Rebecca, are you ready? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we, we talk about this. You may have heard her name mentioned. Tell yep. us who Rebecca is, Joe. Well, Rebecca Ranham is the lovely daughter of our esteemed CEO, Kelly Ranham, the number one CEO in the country, by the way. <laughs> who's been, who's. I agree. Yeah, I'm looking for a raise. <laughs> and she's been editing uh, the podcast for the past few months. So, of course, she's uh, heard a lot of ums, wah, huh. <laughs> You know, so uh, I guess my first question to you, Rebecca, is what's the most difficult part of editing from, you know, compared to what you would have expected? I think really the hardest part, maybe just editing information that I don't really know that I'm not the best on. So sometimes I ask my mom being like, hey, like, what do they mean by this? And so she helps out a lot with that. Mm -hmm. So that's really the hardest is because sometimes I don't understand what y'all are talking about with the medical talk. And I'm like, hmm. Okay. So can I so be not honest? Just the Cajun same accent. here, Rebecca. Same I was going to say, <laughs> Joey same. has to break it down. That's why we have um, Joey. Yes. Um, so, so tell us a little bit about your background. So you're interning. So how old are you? What school do you go to? What do you want to do with yourself? So I'm 17. I go to Lakeshore High School out of Mandeville, and um, I started getting into editing when I was like a little bit younger. We'd go on family vacation, so I just put a video together, and then my mom told me that y'all started doing this podcast and that I could help out maybe. And so that was the first time I started like audio editing. And so Troy helped me out a lot. So my mom let me do this to see if I wanted to do this in the future. And so right now, this is what I'm leaning towards. To Great proceed. idea. Kelly is a brilliant woman, I have to say. A visionary. Yeah. Troy, she's out to steal your job. I think she wants, <laughs> I think he wants you to bring some of this info home. Rebecca. <laughs> All right. So obviously you grew up with donation being yes. a good thing. You've yes. seen how it's helping. So um, tell us your your view on donation and then working with this podcast, it must have opened you up because you said you're learning as yes. you go. So I've grown up with organ donation. My mom's always talked about it. It's just always been around me. I always had a concept of it, like what I like I knew what it was. I knew it helped people. Like I just knew it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. So editing this podcast really helped me out a lot more to go into depth with it. So like when people ask me questions like, well, what do you do? Like, what do you edit? Like I could just tell them everything I learned and it really helps inform people. And yeah, 
Yeah. You're beautiful. <laughs> Look you. at that. So, Sarah, this reminds me of me talking to you when yep. you were in college. Yeah. Well spoke at 17. I mean, I know I'm loud now. I get, I get it. But I was deathly shy. So getting up to a microphone, I would have oh passed out. Red. I have passed out a few hives. times. Yeah, so bring back some memories, Sarah. Absolutely, but with you behind the wheel helping, it's you might you were shy at seventeen, but you helped us, and I'm sure you helped steer us like in the ways that we can help spread the word. I'm pretty sure Laurie was never shy. So whatever she's trying to pull off right here, listen, it's as natural as Rebecca. I can assure you. Okay, so in college, you're seventeen, so you make your way there. And uh, we had to do this project, and the TV cameras were coming, and they needed somebody to interview. And I spent that class in the bathroom. Because <laughs> there's no way I could do that, right? And then guess what I wanted to do? TV news reporter. Yeah. See, it makes sense, right? <laughs> yeah. No, it's just crazy. Um, so we're glad that you're here. Are you glad that you did it? Yes, I'm, I'm very happy with actually committing to this and starting to work on it a lot more. It's helped me out a lot. So what do you think about Troy? I mean, up in the air with <laughs> h- how this guy is, our IT guru, like, but a, a good teacher, right? Oh, he's amazing. He's the best. Yeah. And um, so when you look at the Gifted Life podcast crew, your favorite uh, is... <laughs> All of y'all are she my looked favorite. Smart. No, no, no. She looked at me before oh, she yeah. answered. She kind of did. When your mom was in this exact chair and we posed the same question, Joey made me, um, <laughs> she picked Troy. Of course, but I did. think it was because he took you under his wing, most likely. her baby. Yep. Yeah. Most likely. Right, so, where do you see yourself? So, you're like 17, Rebecca. Yes. So, where do you see yourself at? Um, you know, 27, Rebecca. Hopefully, a millionaire. Where are you oh. going? <laughs> I hope, but uh, just doing what makes me happy. Doing help spread the word of organ donation. Doing what's best for the community. Yeah, and college-wise, you're staying around. Uh, hopefully going to Florida. Lord. Oh, we come? I mean, we can take this show on the road, Rebecca. Think about yeah. it. Really? Think about it. Yeah. All right. So I like that during the summer, you're working, you're interning, you're keeping your mind fresh. That's amazing. Yeah. And thanks for helping us on The Gifted Life. I don't know if We usually credit Troy with making it sound good, but we yep. want to credit you, Rebecca. <laughs> no. Thank you. Rebecca Thank you. Pretty smile. All right. Thanks for uh, letting us grill you here on The Gifted Life. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> she did great. Yes. <laughs> Here on the Gifted Life podcast, we like to take a moment for mental health. Yep. In today's episode, Sarah's going to be talking to us about something that my wife tells me I need quite a bit of. Ooh, what is it? What is it? Relaxation techniques for adults. I agree. I agree. I can do some <laughs> of that too, Sarah. We all do. We all live stressful lives. Yeah. Yeah. Fast paced. Yep. So today we're going to go ahead and talk about how adults can use these skills and techniques in order to create a better, healthier environment for themselves and maybe for their kids and work. So as we always like to say, self-care is really important. And anytime you're on an airplane, they say, put your mask on first before you assist. So this is what we need to do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk about some skills. First, a really, really great activity we can do is called breath focus. So what this essentially is, is taking deep breaths while being mindful in the moment of what we're doing. Doing now. Am I doing it right? Yeah, Yeah, it's just taking deep breaths and focusing on that deep breath physically and mentally. And it's really effective and it 
breathing is just so helpful for us anyways, and it does reduce stress. But when you take it to the next step and you actually fully focus on it, it creates a mindful environment for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, when life gets to be too much and then I'm finally by myself, like either behind the wheel or something. <sighs> exactly. And how much does that help? Breathe it out. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. It's so simple, but it really breathe helps. It, out. it really helps. Um, another technique we can use is called the body scan. Now, this what? is not a CT scan that you do at the hospital. <laughs> is there an app for that, Sarah? <laughs> right. What you do is you either lay down or sit down. And while you're breathing heavily or deeply, I should say, what you do is you go from the top of your head to relax to the bottom. And you focus on each part of your body and turn to relax it and feel that moment of peace in each part of your body. Focusing your brain. Yeah, so am I thinking, okay, relax your cheeks. Now relax your shoulders. That's exactly right. But you don't make it sound right. No? (laughs) No, that's exactly right. So it helps too if you want to tense your body fully and one by one work your way down to relax it. Yeah. I'm so tall. It would take me all afternoon. Well, <laughs> you could do it what? in a couple Fast minutes. Okay, good. Yeah, you could do it at your desk. Practice you could makes do it at home. <laughs> the taller, the better, probably. <laughs> the thoughts in my brain sometimes. I, I totally need what you're saying. Keep coming, girl. All right. And the last one we'll talk about is what we like to call guided imagery. Now, this you'll probably need aid with. So what you can do is you can get on YouTube and you can look up guided imagery um, guides. Mm-hmm. And they'll either walk you through any kind of image that you want to feel at peace with so a lot of people do like a a walk on the beach and you close your eyes and you fully focus on what they're telling you so you can do something like a walk on the beach or you can do like a forest hike trail whatever you find the most relaxing in your life Mm -hmm. you play this on youtube or you can google anything and they will walk you through it and you close your eyes and you fully focus on what the images are guiding you to well ironically my wife purchased vr goggles for me for my birthday this past year. Mm-hmm. And my favorite app on there is uh, it's guided meditation. Right. And it's basically that though because obviously it's in VR so it's it's a 360 view and my favorite part of it the favorite one that I, I usually choose at night is a, a walk on the beach type mm-hmm. thing. And it's beach the therapy. you know the, oh. the the waves rolling in and you of course them. he's mm-hmm. helping you to to meditate. He's having me focus on you know, relaxing my arms and relaxing my legs and things pretty much very similar to what you're describing now. But I can certainly see the benefits. Uh, It's it's something that I I never really focused on meditation, never focused on relaxing. Honestly, didn't focus on self-care much. Um, And and with this, it's it's almost a nightly thing for me that I look forward to just putting the VR goggles on, relaxing and then kind of watching myself walk on the beach. Nice. And it really, really works. And like you said, a lot of people don't focus on their self-care. And especially with adults, mindfulness is the key. So Mm -hmm. all of these techniques have deep breathing and mindfulness. And it really will create a healthier, more stress-free life that you can lead. So this doesn't cost anything. You can do it wherever, whenever. And I highly encourage you to do it. (laughs) I love it. All right. So that's for adults and this life on the go, totally necessary. In the next episode, we're talking about relaxation techniques for children. For children. Yeah. So if you have kids, we're going to help you help them. I like that. Self-care. Important. All right. Maybe you have a topic you want Sarah to cover. Info at thegiftedlife.org. In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Today's hero, Jared Bradley Brown. 
Yes, we received this from Jared's family. That Jared was 19 years old with a bright future. He became a donor in May 2009 following an automobile accident. He was a son, grandson, nephew, and cousin. Jared was full of life and drew people to him. He had so, so many friends that loved him. He was a born athlete. He played baseball, football, and ran track. He was able to help five people with his donation of life, which makes him a hero in his loving family's eyes forever. And now we pause and say thank you to Jared for the gift of life. It's time for our question and answer segment here on The Gifted Life. One of our listeners wrote in and asked, I really want to have an event to educate about organ, tissue, and eye donation in my community. Does Lopa offer speakers for events? What? I love this. Who did you send this in, Jeff? This is an amazing question. I think you wrote this one yourself. I love that people are thinking about this and talking about this here on the podcast. We want to spur those healthy conversations about organ tissue and eye donation. We tell you that you are the key. So yes, yes, yes. Lopa.org/speaker. Um, if you're in Louisiana, Lopa.org/speaker. Tell us what you're looking for. We're very flexible. We cater the presentation um, for your audience. So that high schoolers, we're doing a council aging coming up. We did 4-H University for kids from across the state. So yes, lopa.org slash speaker. Now maybe you're outside of Louisiana and you're listening. Find the nearest organ procurement agency near you. You can do that at aopo.org. That's aopo.org. That's the Association of Organ Procurement Organizations. And who, uh, I'm drawing a blank, who's the president of Aopo at this uh, time. Anybody? It's Sarah? Our very you? own Kelly Ranum, I believe. Wow, Lopa CEO Kelly Ranum uh, is the current president of Aopo. But if you go to aopo.org, um, then you can click on your state, find the nearest OPO to you, and then you can request assistance. Our goal is to help you help others and make life happen. And as always, we want to hear from you. Email your questions to info at thegiftedlife.org. You can also give us a call. That number is 504-648-3477. We may even play your message on a podcast. And that'll do it, guys, for episode 114 of The Gifted Life. Yeah, thanks to Kevin Caldwell and our partners there at Osseum Health for all that they are doing to advance donation and transplantation. And we love you listening. We're a team. Our ask is that you share, share, share this information. We're learning from each other and we're trying to save more lives. The best place to find us is thegiftedlife.org. Listen there and find links to listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And thank you so much for listening, guys. We know a lot of you are on social media. You can like our Facebook page, The Gifted Life Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Gifted Life Pod. Joe, did we inspire you today? Yes, you did. Sarah? Absolutely. I'm inspired myself. Guys, hopefully we prompted you to register as an organ, tissue, and eye donor. That's registerme.org. That's a quick one-stop shop to say, yes, I want to help save lives if I can, right? And we also are asking that you go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. We're a team. Talk to you soon. This is a production of LOPA, or the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreau, and Sarah Blakemore. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Caraway. 
intern is Rebecca Ranham, and we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. 